Well, researchers and medical professionals uh, are reporting that in the last few months there have been huge increases in the numbers of people suffering depression and anxiety, not surprisingly. Uh, the Royal Australian College of GPs has reported that in July there was a 31% increase in the prescription of anti-anxiety medication, 22% increase in antidepressant prescriptions compared to the same period last year. Mental Health America has compared recent data to six previous years of voluntary online mental health screening tests. Uh, the number of completed questionnaires in June was 400% higher than in January of the same year. And among adults under 25 who completed the questionnaire, 90% uh, scaled at moderate to severe depression, 80% recorded moderate to severe anxiety. Uh, they identified factors of loneliness, isolation, grief, loss and financial concerns. And just anecdotally, I've spoken to a number of people who normally would say that they have very good, solid mental health, and yet they've just described feeling off balance, uh, and they can't understand why. Despite being less busy, despite just feeling weary and unsettled, uh, they're operating at no, um, higher than normal levels of anxiety. And they're just finding that coping with all the uncertainties is draining and unsettling. Now, I don't know whether that's you or not. Uh, stressed, anxious, depressed, beaten. Uh, but if it is, then Isaiah 40 has a word of comfort for you. And that's the word. Verse 1, comfort. Uh, comfort my people, says God. Relax. You're safe. You don't need to be stressed. And it's a command that's focused on God himself. That's the key. On his, uh, focusing on his character and his qualities. When we start looking at our own resources or we spend too long looking at the threats around us, that's when we start to lose hope. When we focus on our failures, on our coping strategies, on our connections, on our assets, that's when we get anxious rather than comforted. Contrary to what the world says, the answer is not inside you. <laughs> Instead, we need to focus our gaze on the infinitely powerful, wise, holy, loving, eternal God that we meet in the Bible, and especially here in Isaiah chapter 40. Now, just to be clear, uh, I'm not saying that anxiety and depression are purely spiritual. I'm not saying that. Uh, if you're suffering from uh, either of these conditions... Uh, I'm encouraging you to seek medical attention. And medical attention is one of the ways that God works to help us you know, with these conditions. But on the other hand, there is genuine comfort and hope uh, in, the, in the face of uncertainty when we focus on God, on his infinite nature and qualities. Uh, and God's word of comfort comes to a people in a pretty similar situation to us. Isaiah 40, uh, it begins the second major section of the book. Uh, Israel's 70-year exile in Babylon is coming to an end. 70 years of struggle, confusion, anxiety, feeling abandoned by God. Uh, their tank is empty. 
They've got nothing left. 70 years. Uh, someone said to me yesterday that it's been 20 weeks of their church being online and having to cope with all of this. 70 years, 20 weeks. It doesn't seem like long at all, really, does it? But it's into this situation of 70 years that God speaks to his prophet Isaiah to pass on a message of comfort to his people. And it's a comfort that comes with at least four big hugs, four big hugs from God. Uh, So firstly, in verse 1, you belong to God. You belong to God. Verse 1, comfort my people. Despite appearances, despite it looking like God's abandoned them, despite being in a strange land, despite no temple or city, they still belong to God. Nothing's changed on that front. So take comfort. Second, your sins have been paid for. Verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, says God. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, her sins been paid for, she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Decades of exile had rammed home to Israel that God was punishing them. They'd rebelled, ignored, disobeyed, they'd suffered the consequences, but now God's announcing the incredible news that all's forgiven. Somehow without explanation... God is willing to forgive generations of sin. The relationship's restored, the offence is forgiven, and so there's comfort. But that's only half comfort if they remain stuck in Babylon. And so the next part of God's comforting hug is there in verse 3. God's coming to the promised land and he's going to bring his people with him. Back to the land, verse 3. A voice of one calling... In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground will be made level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God is on his way, and he's coming to restore the people to their land, just like he's restored the relationship. So get ready, he says. The fourth part of God's comforting hug is there in verse 6. If all of that seems too good to believe, then remember this, God has promised it so you can count on it. God's word can be trusted. There's comfort in a trustworthy word. Everything else may be falling apart, but God's word doesn't change. Verse 8. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Now that's something we want to pray for uh, that people will realise in the midst of this pandemic. We want to pray that they might recognise the truth of verse 8. That of all the other things they're putting their trust in, in homes and jobs and families and health and investments and shopping and travel, none of it's reliable. It all fails. None of it lasts. Our world, as we know, it is broken. The only thing that can be trusted is God's word. God himself is the trustworthy, reliable, dependable one in a world where you can't be sure of anything. So they're the four comforting hugs from God. How do you respond to that, whether you're Israel or us today? Well, 
you tell people about a God like that. You don't just pray that people uh, will understand it. You want to tell them that God is the reliable one. Uh, Have a look there in verse 9. God is commanding his messenger. You, who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You, who, who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. Here is your God. If you've got a a physical Bible, underline it. If you've got an electronic one, do that little highlighting thing. Here is your God. Verse 10, he's powerful. He's acted in history. He's judged. He's saved. You thought he'd left you, but you were wrong. You thought he didn't care, but you were wrong. You thought he was disinterested and powerless, but you were wrong. But not only that, verse 11, here is your God. He's the gentle shepherd who forgives and protects, restores and leads. You thought he was cruel, but you'll see he's tender and gentle. Or verse 12, here is your God. Nothing compares to his power. Who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Or verse 13 and 14, here is your God. Nothing compares to his wisdom. Who's understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counsellor? Or from verse 15, here is your God. Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. Nothing compares to God. He controls history. He rules nations and governments. He's the king over kings. They're all dust on the scales. A quick blow and they're gone. Assyria, gone. Babylon, gone. Global pandemics, gone. They seem huge to us, but to God, they're nothing. Or from verse 18, here is your God. Other gods can't compare. There's something to be made fun of. Verse 20, a man making an idol, he he carefully chooses wood that won't rot. And then the craftsman makes sure he flattens the base properly so it won't topple over. And then they bow down and worship the wobbly thing that they've made and make sure they don't bump the table when they do it. That's nonsense. And yet today people worship crystals and follow astrology and Scientology and meditate in teepees and worship Gaia and Mother Nature. Or perhaps more commonly they worship sportsmen or musicians or Instagram influencers. But God is incomparable. He's the one who made the stars and the crystals and the forests and the heroes we worship. Down to verse 25. Here is your God. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one 
and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Just imagine that. Not one star forgotten or unnamed. That's power. That's wisdom. That's the picture that the Jews in exile needed reminding of when they were tempted to think that God had forgotten them, that they were abandoned. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. That is the impossible application of this passage. God is infinite in power and wisdom, so I'm going to complain that he's forgotten me. That's impossible. That's illogical. It's nonsense. How could the God who knows and counts off billions of stars forget or not notice his people? And yet we complain, don't we? We complain. It may not be to God, but when we complain, it really is about what God's doing. We complain when things don't turn out for us the way we want. We complain about what we have or don't have. We think we know better. We grumble that we do things differently. We believe these truths with our heads and yet we often don't believe them with our hearts. And so we need to speak verse 28 to each other. Here is your God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He's eternal, the ancient of days. He stands outside of time. He looks on at the whole of history the way we might watch a conveyor belt that rolls past. He sees the end, he sees the beginning, all at once. Nothing tires him, nothing confuses him, nothing surprises him, nothing outmuscles him. No one can understand his understanding. His IQ is literally off the charts. Knowing the number of hairs on your head, naming each star, we can't even fathom it. And when you put it like that, the right response is obvious. When things are hopeless, when you lack strength and understanding and influence, you put your hope in a God like that. Verse 29. He, the one you've just been described to, he gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. Put your hope in him. There's the application. It's the opposite of grumbling. Put your hope in him. If you get nothing else out of today, that's a good thing to take away. Put your hope in him. That word for hope, it's wait. Wait for the Lord. Because hope is forward-looking. It doesn't necessarily receive it today. 
There's no guarantee that God's help will be immediate. It took 70 years for Israel. But wait for him. Because patient waiting is faith in action. Patient waiting is faith in action. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That word renew, it, it, it's uh, normally translated as change or exchange, swap. That's what's happening when we trust a powerful God. The infinitely strong one gives us his strength. We exchange our weakness for his strength. Yes, there's help to be found in medication and support groups and counselling and government assistance and public health guidelines and policy, but they're not enough. It's only when we look to God that we gain his strength, that we can mount up on wings like eagles, that we can gain the strength, the patience and the perseverance to cope with uncertainty and anxiety and fear. The strength to pray for a non-Christian family member year after year. To deal with chronic illness. To persevere in a ministry that's thankless and unnoticed. To raise kids who exhaust us. We can do it because the infinite, incomparably strong God gives his strength to those who hope in him. Now, if that was clear for the Old Testament believers, for Israel, how much clearer is it for us? For us who've seen Jesus, the perfect man, the word who was with God and was God, the one whose life was the light of men, the visible image of the invisible God, because Jesus' strength and wisdom are incomparable too. God is infinite, but in Jesus we see the infinite God in a finite package. If God is the sun that we can't even look at, then Jesus is the radiance around the sun that, that we can begin to grasp. Or here's another illustration. Jesus is God's zip file. He compresses all the data of Godness into a manageable package. The incomprehensible shrunk down to human comprehension. Or Jesus is God's hyperlink. Just one word. But click on that word and you go to a whole other website that's just full of all the characteristics and qualities of the eternal and infinite God. For example, consider this story. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, a story we know well. Jesus and the disciples are in a boat. They're on the Sea of Galilee. It's night time. Jesus has been teaching all day. He's exhausted. He's a man. The disciples are doing all the work of getting the boat from one side to the other. Just perhaps they look on at Jesus with mild irritation that they're the ones doing all the work while he's just having a nap. But then a furious storm blows up. The waves are breaking over the side of the boat. It's filling up quickly and even these professional sailors are scared they're going to drown. 
They stop bailing out the boat just long enough to wake up Jesus. Don't you care if we drown? They accuse. Verse 39, Jesus gets up, he rebukes the wind. He says to the waves, be still. And they did. Everything was calm. And he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Here is your God. Here is your God. And what was their response? They were terrified. They asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is he? Well, well, he's your incomparable, infinite God. So you should trust him. Trust him. Well, here's one more to finish with. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Jesus has been raised from the dead because it's impossible for death to hold the author of life. He tells Mary to pass on a message. Tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. Verse 16, Matthew 28, the 11 go there. They're on the mountain, Jesus tells them. And then Jesus arrives. Here is your God. They see him and they worship him. He's their God. He's the source of their life. And Jesus says to them in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's got all the authority of the infinite God at his disposal. Authority to control the wind and the waves. Authority over kings and governors. Authority over disaster and disease. What's our response to that authority? Well, Jesus continues with a therefore. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The authority of the infinite God over everything given to Jesus means that he deserves the loyalty and submission and obedience of everything in creation, everything bowing the knee before him. And the authority of the infinite God over everything given to Jesus means that his power is available to us as we work to implement that plan to make disciples. All authority has been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples. That's a task worth giving your life to, to make disciples. And as we do, Jesus finishes with the promise that we're not alone. Just as God had spoken a word of comfort to his people Israel, Jesus speaks one to us. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, there's much to be comforted by here. Help us to see you. Uh, Help us not to have our vision blocked or um, defocused because we're looking at the things around us or looking at ourselves. Help us to see you. Help us to trust you, to 
trust your word that doesn't fade away. Your word, your promise of your son that he has all authority and he'll be with us to the very end of the age. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond to God.